This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome into episode number 144 here on the Huskies Warming House Podcast. Noah Grant alongside Nick Maxson here for another week of Huskies college hockey, NHL hockey, whatever the world is going to bring us here. And it brought us quite a lot over the holiday season as we pushed into 2023, Nick. Uh, Of course, we had a winter classic going on. We had a couple of games at Fenway the week after in the college hockey world. A couple of signings, a couple of demotions that we'll get to in the in the NHL world. Uh, college hockey, I, I like the smirk on your face. I can't wait. Um, <laughs> NCAA world, uh, things still crazy. This is kind of the last week of silliness as far as non-conference schedule, holiday tournaments, exhibition, whatever. So we're supposed to get back relatively to normal next week. So we'll kind of encapsulate that and, and get you primed and ready for what's coming up here as we start basically the second half in the college hockey world as far as conference play is concerned for pretty much everybody. Uh, besides that, uh, men's hockey, they had an, a, a big weekend, I hear, uh, against an in-state opponent. Maybe. Kind of. Yeah, so Maybe. we'll talk. We'll talk about them. We'll see what happens. Uh, the women's team was also in state, but they did not play an in-state opponent. They had a holiday tournament to cap off uh, the start of their second half of their season. So we'll get that recapped, and then we'll talk about their next opponent, which will be a conference opponent. As uh, they look to chase down another team, the WCHA, that had a very very big weekend mm-hmm. standings wise. Uh, very impressive. Uh, also a Minnesota squad in the state as well. And then speaking of Minnesota squads, Minnesota wild, we'll briefly touch on them and talk about what they've got going on. And then our extra ice session, the world juniors brought us pretty much everything you possibly could have asked for, except for a USA gold medal, but they had to settle for bronze and it was wild. The parody was yeah, crazy. <clears throat> I mean, if you'd never seen a World Junior Tournament, uh, this was the one to definitely watch. Uh, future looking bright on the international stage. With that being said, we will start right here with Center Ice View News and Notes in the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, Noah, and uh, we're kind of going to roll through these here a little bit quicker than usual just because uh, we have a lot to talk about. Yeah. Um, 
So as you mentioned earlier, uh, the Winter Classic, right? Bruins winning this one two to one. And uh, you talk about wagons. This is a runaway train. Yeah, we're talking about the Boston Bruins. Holy hell. Um, they just keep piling up the points um, in record fashion, all she would say. Um, two to one, the final score. Uh, Malkin did uh, tie the game late or you know, game tying goal half a second too late. Sorry. Um, can you tell my reading skills have been off this week? No. Tell, tell me tell me you didn't watch the game without telling me you didn't watch the exactly. game. Exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. Um <clears throat> so uh it, it was it was a good one though. I mean it was the lighting was good. I heard the ice was not so great because of course it was played mid-afternoon, but yeah, yeah I, still I mean it was figure that out. Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah, it was back and forth. I mean, the Pens took a one-nothing lead. The Bruins responded with two straight, the game winner with like two and a half minutes left, and Mulkin. His game tying goal just squeaks through the goaltender, Olmark, but just crossed the line half a second too late on the one time opportunity. It was a good game, though. I mean, it was, um, I mean, if you just watched the last five minutes, like some of us did, um, it was pretty good. So, right. Uh, speaking of pretty good, so uh, with the 2020. Three winter classic out of the way. The 2024 winter classic was then announced. Uh, how about this one going to T-Mobile Park in Seattle, home of the Mariners? They will host the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, that won't trigger any Minnesota hockey fan with uh, Seattle getting a winter classic, uh, basically year three of your existence. But no, nothing yeah. there. Uh, 2023 Heritage Classic again, the kind of the similar thing north of the border there uh, between the Oilers and the Flames will take place on the 29th uh, this year in 2023 at Commonwealth Stadium. That's home of the Edmonton Elks of the CFL. Um, this will mark the first time between the two uh, Battle of Alberta, the Battle of Alberta, I say that three times fast, uh, that <laughs> the provincial rivals will play each other outdoors and the 20th anniversary of the inaugural Heritage Classic, which was be a uh, play between the Oilers and the Montreal Canadiens uh, in front of 57,000 plus fans at the same exact venue. So a little bit, yeah. of, uh, shall we say, you know. Rounding out the full full circle there. Yeah, yeah, that'll that'll be in October. In case people missed that, October 29th of this upcoming, it'll be next season basically. Yeah, so exactly. Um, speaking of next season, uh, we don't have to wait that far for uh, Austin Matthews. This season became the fastest player in franchise history to score 500 career points with the Maple Leafs. Uh, holy cow! He did it in 45. Uh, career games. He beat Matt Sundin by 50 games. He did it in 495, uh, just to kind of name a couple players there. Um, that's just nuts, right? A uh, couple of their names in there. Uh, is it Rick Ve- uh, Vavy? Vive. Vive. And then Daryl Sittler. He did it in 517 games. So uh, quite the feat, again, for Austin Matthews. He was looking like his number will be raised to the rafters at uh, Scotiabank Arena and probably be entering the Hockey Hall of Fame when his career is done. Um, already quick to 500 career points. Speaking of career points, uh, let's talk about some extensions and signings. Uh, Dallas Stars. Uh, this one, not surprising, but I think that uh, yeah, the timing was kind of uh, interesting. Uh, they signed uh, Joe Pavelski, the journeyman, to a one-year, $3.5 million extension. Uh, the Rangers also extended Jimmy Vizzi on a two-year deal. And then how about this? St. Cloud State alum Nick Perbix defenseman gets a extension for two years after his uh, showing this rookie year, eight points in 29 games play. His average annual value, $1.125 million. A um, couple of things with Perbix, right? Because uh, his NHL career, I will admit in myself, I didn't think he was going to get a shot this early. Um, yeah. you know, a couple of injuries kind of led to his opportunity. He's taken hold of it. Yeah. Uh, currently ranked second, um, I should say tied for second among lightning defensemen for goals and fourth for scoring. He also ranks tied for second among all rookie NHL defensemen for goals and 10th in NHL rookies in scoring by defensemen. So how about that? 
Yeah, and let's also not forget, I mean, he wasn't an opening day lineup guy necessarily, right? So, right. I mean, that's a big deal for him to jump into the lineup and, and be productive. And good for him. He was on a one-year entry-level contract deal and earned two more years as a result of that. Will he stay in John Cooper's lineup? We'll have to see. Is it just a hot streak? We'll have to see. But hopefully it's much more than that. We've seen guys do this where um, I think an example of a guy who was lesser skilled that even did such a thing was Nate Prosser, right? Uh, yeah. uh, another Minnesota native. Um is Nate Prosser also an Elk River guy? He is, yes. Yeah, they're both Elk River guys. So um, you look at that and the way that he carved his career out by you know sticking to an identity and playing a role. I think Nick Perbex has always been lauded for his offensive capabilities in the back end. And if, if he continues to produce, he's a great addition to a Lightning lineup that uh, apparently is still really good. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah. And not a not a bad place to play, by the way, having it be no. 80, 85 and Sunday, sunny and walking to the rink in your sandals every day. So MLA Arena, been there myself, uh, right on the Riverwalk is what they call it there in Tampa. Um, a lot of great places around it and the arena itself actually pretty gorgeous. Um, and that's then, a very nice area. And it's got some kind of important tournament coming up uh, in a couple. Yeah. Of How about that? The uh, the Frozen Four will be held at the same arena. So that's kind of fun. Uh, one thing to note that you didn't mention here, Noah, in the notes was that uh, the, the men's hockey team actually did a trip uh, to the uh, XL Energy Center and wow, actually uh, watched and took in the game with Nick Perbix in the lineup against Lightning versus the Wild, where Minnesota got the better of uh, the two, uh, the back-to-back Stanley Cup champions from 2020 and 2021. Uh, so that was kind of cool to show that yeah. support. Uh, I, I know that meant a lot to Nick, uh, I'm sure. So a uh, pretty cool story there for a former St. Cloud defenseman getting a good shot in the NHL. A uh, couple more notes here. Um, I know you're salivating at this one. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'll am i let you kind of take on the conversation, but I, I think you might be surprised at my response to this. The Seattle Kraken have, um, shall we say, finally assigned forward Shane Wright to OHL's Kingston Frontiacs uh, this past Friday. Now, it sounds like he's going to be traded ahead of the Tuesday deadline, uh, likely to the Knights of London, Ontario, and uh, just turning 19 years of age. Uh, this has been quite the, the last six months here for Shane Wright, and maybe even longer than that, maybe going back to uh, to June in the entry draft, so maybe eight months or so. Uh, so the floor is yours, sir. Well, I, I thought it was kind of funny. When you go through Twitter, there's a lot of people who are like, he's going to bring such value to British hockey. Now he's headed to London and that sort of thing. And um, it was kind of funny to look at that. I mean, I don't know. I I, I don't, I think it's just kind of uh, the path that I think a lot of us saw to it. I, I don't think it's from my end of things, kind of this nanana boo boo type thing per se, but it's more of the sense of, we kind of anticipated this because he needed to play a lot more. And I think the world junior showcased that where even if he's playing guys who are predominantly maybe of a lower tier and that's scary to say that when you go to the world juniors it's a lower tier but but it is i mean compared to nhl talent and i think he produced and flourished so much that they recognized that it you know this path was kind of the predetermined path for him a little bit ish in the in the last month or so i don't think it was the case from day one with the organization in Seattle. But I think as things develop, they realized it it was probably the right move. It sounds like London wants to give up quite a bit to get him, including I believe Radic Bonk's kid. Yeah. Um, So, which is hands down one of my favorite NHL names of all time. Like, um, (laughs) of course the the meme, uh, you know, the Bonk meme, a lot of people go to London Bonk. So it's pretty good. (laughs) Uh, But nonetheless, uh, yeah, I, I think it will be good for him. Now the question is, um, I believe they can recall him still. So I, I I think so too. Yeah. So I wouldn't be shocked if we see him in Seattle as we push closer to the playoffs, if he continues to produce as what we expect him to. Um, 
But I think this will be a good little stint for him to just continue to gain some confidence and and gain some benefit. How long will he be there? I have no idea. But I think that an OHL return was always kind of in the cards for him just simply because of the fact that he could only have one AHL stint and he burned it. So it's been an interesting ride, right? Noah, when we talked about this, uh, what was it? September, October? No, more like October, November. Half the year. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and basically what my argument was, was, you know, there was some talk about maybe his maturity and maybe that's why he wasn't getting the minutes. Um, I have argued and I still kind of think that, you know, he's certainly in a in a league above where he's at. Um, we showed that when he had his two week stint down there with Coachella Valley, but he was actually very productive down there. You know, it's it, I don't know. It just the whole thing. I think we can both agree the whole thing has been very just weirdly managed by Seattle's organization, yeah. to say the least. And I don't disagree. That's always been in the cards. But my argument has been is what really is the benefit? Yes, confidence is there, but is it really helping to maybe his skill development or maybe the IQ, the speed there? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Yeah. I see it more as a gimmick trick. And what the reason why I say that to, to Seattle standpoint is they sort of have been kind of dragging the anchor with him most of this season. And I'm not saying that this move is a continuation of that. It may become that, but it's like after a certain point, you're not going to have these options with Shane Wright besides the American Hockey League in Seattle, right? At some point, you know, you, you have to sort of make a stand with where this player is at. Is he going to be an NHL player? You know, and I would love to know the sort of the thought process behind how they've managed him so far this season. It just, I yeah. don't know. I think at first, you know, we were kind of maybe under some false impressions. I'll for, you know, full rightly admit that maybe it wasn't necessarily um, to the maturity level that I maybe thought it was. Yeah. Um, but was, was the captain for Canada, the world juniors, by the way. Right. So, um, yeah. So I, I think we can put that to bed. Um, so at the end of it, when you take away some of those, maybe, you know, wrong storylines, let's just call it that, you know, it does, you know, beg to wonder uh, what ag- what Seattle's long-term game plan is. Yeah. I think that's a bigger question. I, I think it just goes simply down to ice time. I think just getting reps and feeling normal game rhythm. I, I you know, you can't do anything about the competition you play, but, you sure. know, j- just because he's not playing against the best in the world doesn't mean that he can continue to develop, continue to be in the weight room and getting stronger, continue to work mm-hmm. on his edges, continue to work on those little things that are going to make him better at the next level. And really, if you want to look at, it, look at it this way, he essentially has a freebie half of a year, essentially, where he can focus his development on something in a league where he's not going to feel that pressure because sure. he's, go- he's going to produce unless something insane happens or he gets hurt, right? So mm-hmm. I-, I think maybe just the ice time knowing that, yeah, you can ride him for six, seven, eight minutes a night in the NHL every other game and throw him up in the press box, or you can give him 30, you know, 25, 30 minutes a night, uh, depending on what the situation calls for for special teams and let him run, essentially. And the other part of our argument earlier was, you know, whereas your argument is, well, why is he not playing more in Seattle, right? And obviously what partly I think vindicates me a bit is, Obviously, they don't feel like he's ready to play those top minutes in Seattle if they're sending him down to juniors, right? So, yeah. you know, whatever, whatever and, that is. And, right. and, I, and I don't think one thing we both missed, I don't think we expected the Kraken to be this good. No, no, you know, not like, at all. They, they, they had a little bit of a, a down period, you know, November, December. They picked it up again late. But, you know, and you kind of – I know that the team performance does play a small role in some of those decisions that are made with, you know, young players – uh, like a Shane Wright in this case with Seattle, but you kind of wonder, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't know if you can really 
shall we say, you know, put all the weight into that. It does make, you know, some type of a difference now that Seattle is, you know, in a top three position in the Pacific. I don't think any of us were expecting that. I think we thought they would be more competitive this year, but not in a top three position. Um, But you you do kind of wonder too, if, you know, maybe they're thinking that, okay, maybe we are going to be a little bit more competitive for a top three spot, you know, if we're going to have to scratch it because we need maybe more experienced NHL players in the lineup that play a specific role, such as a shutdown role, we can't really, you know, feed them to the wolves per se in that perspective and down the stretch. So maybe this is, I don't yeah. know if the safer path is the right well, way to put it, but well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. You know, right. Shane, Shane Wright's not a fourth line guy. Maybe you throw a guy that's a fourth line guy in there and let him, you know, keep the plus minus and the positives and, you know, work right. on those things and let Shane Wright, like we talked about, continue to develop and kind of, you know, let the horses run, so to speak. We'll have to see. Nonetheless, sure. though, second to last topic here, uh, a couple of moves here. The Red Wings, Jakob Vrana cleared waivers after being reinstated from the NHL NHLPA player assistance program back in December. He was subsequently assigned to the AHL Grand Rapids for a conditioning stint, has not really looked sharp. In that, um, it's mm-hmm. been a while. He's only played in 30-some games for the Wings, has looked really good doing it, um, but has kind of had a really awkward journey. And on top of that, the Red Wings mm-hmm. needed to clear a roster spot to accommodate Robbie Fabry's return to action last week. He yep. hadn't played since recent ACL surgery. So Verana, twenty or $5.25 million cap hit this year and next yep. year before being a UFA. So uh, you hope that he gets back to action. It might just take him some time, but I thought it was kind of notable that people – I've talked about the Red Wings saga. At one point, they were a playoff team this year, and now it doesn't look like they're going to be. Um, Nadelkovich was also assigned to the AHL a little bit, so I think they're kind of just looking for another rebuild uh, as far as they're concerned in Detroit. And then injury-wise, a couple of guys here, a couple of long-term ones here. Montreal defenseman Caden mm-hmm. Goulet uh, will miss eight weeks with a lower body injury. Brendan Gallagher will miss at least two, so the Canadian's not getting help there. Bruins, uh, right after the Winter Classic, Jake DeBrusque missing at least a month with a hand injury and a broken fibula. He was actually hit with friendly fire in that game that Nick missed. Um, in the shot, it took a <laughs> shot to the leg and actually still scored on the play, so uh, good to see him do that at least. So um, he scored on a broken leg. That's impressive. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, why does this uh, scream Greg Campbell? 2.0 um <laughs> and on the other side the minnesota wild missed their opportunity the blues who will miss both ryan o'reilly vladimir tarasenko multiple weeks a broken foot and six weeks for o'reilly and a hand injury that will keep vladimir tarasenko out for at least a month And welcome into episode number 144, Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant. Nick, it's a pleasure to have you here on this Monday night. We have a Tuesday release here, of course, because we had a very important college hockey game that we had to cover here related to St. Cloud men's on hockey. Sunday. Yeah, it was yeah. Uh, It was uh, probably one of the best hockey games we've seen in quite some time. I mean, it was back and forth, everything you could have asked for, um, and we'll get to that obviously, but we do have to round up other portions of the NCAAs. As far as scheduling is concerned, I'm thinking we'll probably still have a Sunday release uh, next week, but it might be a little bit later because Nick has some traveling things with North Iowa. Of course, they're coming Mm -hmm. back from Bismarck. So, and then Aberdeen is in Minot on my side of things. So we might be just a little bit later in the day. Um, We'll try to get it done before the Vikings play, of course. So um, we'll see. (laughs) Remember, remember when you said they weren't going to make the playoffs? They did. Um, (laughs) Well, okay, so you can get a participation medal, cool, but <laughs> you still got to win a game. Uh, well, tell that to the Green Bay Packers. Um, oh boy! I mean, what are you going to do? Shove a trainer? Anyway, uh, yeah. with that with that being <laughs> said, uh, well, let's head on over to the Big Ten here, uh, recapping some scores. Uh, Michigan, um, 
playing against Ohio State for whatever reason. I only have the the single scores for this one, so I might as well do some scrambling and pull this up real quick. Ohio State won this first game three to one, and this is mm-hmm. uh, important for a variety of reasons. But I think you know we thought this Spartans team was kind of going to maybe run away with one of those top you know, the second or third spot in the big 10. And suddenly it seems like, you know, Ohio state's making a bid. Uh, Wisconsin's mm-hmm. had a real resurgence. We'll talk about them. They yeah. beat Notre, they beat Notre Dame two to nothing on their first opening night. And then we go back to, uh, um, let's see if I can find your big 10, uh, Ohio state won six, nothing the next night. So the Spartans not having a great showing for them. Uh, no, yeah, Ohio State, a good little vindication for them. And Notre Dame did beat Wisconsin 6-4 in the second night. So mm-hmm. uh, a split for the Notre Dame series, but the Michigan State weekend did not go well for the Spartans. The Spartans kind of have had a rough ride in the past two weeks, three weeks, whatever it's yeah. been. So, um, yeah, that was kind of tough. The U.S. under-8 teams also played Michigan on Friday. I wasn't able to find a score, but granted, I didn't look that hard. So, Nick, if you feel like you want to try to find that one, um, you Which can. One? Uh, the US under eight teams played Michigan on Friday. I didn't get a score. Um, you find it, but uh, it here, which is funny because they never really report anything, and I don't know why they never report the US under 18 scores because they're still playing a college opponent. Usually, I look on Twitter, is usually where I end up finding it, but I didn't find a whole lot, but I didn't look that hard. Um, of course, the U.S. under-18 teams uh, had North Dakota and Minnesota the previous week and played them both to one goal contest. So kind of curious, this Wolverines team is hanging around in the pairwise a little bit. Somehow. Um, so, yeah, we'll have to see if we can we can rustle up something on on that. Uh, of course, I tried to type in Twitter, and I did not get to Twitter, unfortunately. Um, I got to... I'm pulling, up, <laughs> I'm pulling up Michigan hockey right now on their official yeah. website. They will have it for sure. Um, yeah. Usually I look on Twitter because they usually have some sort of media. They moved up to number six, by the way, in the USCHO poll. Yeah, which is very interesting. Um, well, I have fo- I have photos from it. Seven six, Seven, was, six the, yeah. was the final score yeah. that Michigan won this game. So, wow. OK, um, whatever. <laughs> so it was defensive first game. Yeah, apparently so. I, I guess uh, the U.S. under-18 team decided they wanted to do a Sweden 2.0. Uh, with that being <laughs> said, uh, CCHA 2.0, Lake Superior State at Bowling Green, Bowling Green 5-2 and 5-3, Mankato at Northern Michigan, and it was the Mavs 5-2 and 5-3. So, yeah, so uh, a couple of sweeps for those respective clubs there. Northern Michigan uh, really probably could have used a split there. They have not looked great in the past couple of weeks, too, oh, so... Um, that's kind of tough. Uh, Dartmouth traveled to Quinnipiac on Friday only. Quinnipiac won three to nothing, so no upset there. Quinnipiac then hosted Harvard on Saturday and they won four to one, so that was kind of a top 20 ish matchup. Harvard beat Princeton four to three in overtime on Friday. Um, and then Princeton played Dartmouth on the other side of that and won four to two against Dartmouth, so no upsets to speak of Clarkson did travel to Holy Cross on Saturday only and played them to a one, one tie. So, uh, that something of note, I thought didn't have all those scores to begin with to recap, but they kind of popped up and became more interesting as the week went along hockey East, New Hampshire, uh, traveled to Providence and UNH beat Providence two to nothing. That is a, that's a big L for Providence. Um, Providence tied army the next night, three, three in overtime on Sunday. Oof. Um, and then UNH beat Sacred Heart four to one, which is a big deal for Sacred Heart because they're one of the teams atop Atlantic hockey. So yeah. uh, 
the Wildcats kind of creating some havoc there, a la early 2000s, apparently. Uh, Non-conference schedule-wise, Merrimack traveled to Yale in a non-conference game and went to a 3-3 overtime tie. Yale has been doing... 56th in the pairwise. That's not a good tie. Yeah. Um, UMass Lowell beat AIC 4-2 on Saturday, so good for UMass Lowell to bounce back. St. Lawrence traveled to Niagara. Of course, a couple of common opponents for NCHC teams. This was a Thursday-Saturday matchup postponed from November 19th. Niagara won 4-3 in the first night, and St. Lawrence won 4-3 in overtime in night number two. So uh, no real clarity there. And then Nick... Merrimack hosted Brown on Saturday and they Yikes. lost six to Brown, two. Boy, that's Ooh. not yeah. Merrimack got crushed him in the pairwise. They were in the top ten. Now they're sitting at tenth. I'm surprised it didn't drop further. But for yeah. those playing the home game, Brown, in terms of uh where they sit in the pairwise, 44th. Ooh. Um yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Wait, is is the team called Miami somewhere around them, by the way? Miami actually I think is higher than them. I believe they're 41. Yeah. Uh, they are actually Miami's 38. They've jumped. Yeah. Well, that will give Huskies fans some solace, but can, yeah. can, can anything really do that? I don't know. Um, RIT swept Bentley three, nothing and three, one. So Bentley, no more upsets for them this week. Army traveled to sacred heart on Thursday, sacred heart, five, nothing victory. And this was not anything to shout about, but what was crazy Army player Eric Huss uh, taken to Huss Hughes H U S S uh, taken to the hospital after being cut in the neck by a skate. His Not life was sure. basically saved by trainer Rachel Leahy, which uh, um, she co- applied compression. I think it happened right in front of the bench, um, mm-hmm. and they actually finished the hockey game, which is kind of wild. They had about five minutes left in the second, so they resurfaced, finished the last five minutes, had a two minute break, and then finished period number three, which is kind of crazy. So, but mm-hmm. they had to wait for the second ambulance to come back to the rink because they you have to have an ambulance on standby at, at a hockey game always. Yep. Um, so they decided to resurface during that moment while the ambulance was coming back. But uh good photos of him, of course, in his hospital room and hopefully he's looks like he's looking better and better each day. But yeah, what a scary scary thing my dad actually had the same thing where he got stepped on by a skate when he was in high school of course that was way before neck guards or anything were a thing but no college hockey player anybody wears them really anyway besides besides if you have a guy who wears like the turtleneck double covering Mm -hmm. but not many do um scary things have you ever seen i i had a teammate in high school who got stepped on during a jv game and cut his finger off have you ever seen anything that yeah, they actually they sell- laugh, but it's just like it, it sounds like we're like writing a freaking horror movie script. Yeah, but. they actually they they put it on ice and in whatever, and they actually sewed it back on. He actually still has his original finger, which is sounds more than Pierre, uh, Jason Pierre Paul does. So that's unreal. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I haven't, thank goodness. Um, you know, you, you see, you know, I suppose maybe the more media heavy things that have happened uh i forget the the guy the nh uh which nhl player but like you know i think oh, richard kind of, zednick and richard clint zednick, yep. and clint Malarchuk, yep yep um but yeah not to me as a player thank goodness uh you know because you you just there's certain you know reaction stuff you know as a human being you know when you see something like that and you know i can only imagine the players yeah. themselves Malarchuk and for zednick you know what must have gone been going through their heads when you can clearly see what's happening and knowing that you're yeah. in a, a life-threatening situation very rapidly. So, uh, yeah. yeah, thank goodness I haven't been able to witness uh, something like that. 
Yeah, certainly would agree. Uh, well, what we did witness was almost a massacre. I kid, I kid. We're talking about Alaska Fairbanks, and that was probably <laughs> poorly timed. Uh, Alaska Fairbanks and Notre Dame. We'll talk about this Fairbanks team in a few moments, by the way. Yes. But this is from last week. Fairbanks did beat Notre Dame 3-2 to two before losing 2 to nothing to the Fighting Irish last week. Um, and that set us up for an interesting matchup this past weekend. Uh, Alaska Anchorage stayed in the East Coast. Um with Maine, and they lost a pair of one-goal hockey games, one nothing and 4-3 to three in overtime. So not the results they were looking for, but better. I mean, yeah, they hung with that Maine team who has disrupted a couple of Hockey East teams and ECAC teams. So, again, I think the Seawolves are finally headed back across to their respective ocean. Um, yeah. But with that being said, a couple of holiday special event type things. We did have uh, the Desert Hockey Classic at Mullet Arena. BU beat Air Force 5-1, and Michigan Tech beat Arizona State 4-2. So Tech had BU, Tech won 3-2 in night number two, and Arizona State blanked Air Force 2-0 in that one. And then the Frozen Fenway, uh, Saturday, January 7th, of course, this essentially coming a week after the Winter Classic. So the college teams got to play too. BC played UMass in the primetime game. They won 4-2 over UMass and then UConn lost in Northeastern. This was actually a conference game. Northeastern won four to one and it was form- that one. And it was former mm-hmm. Minot Minotaro and third third all time leading scorer in a single season, Houston Cartman, who got a five in a game for a face mask um in oh. this one. No shock if you know the way Houston Cartman plays, he pretty much racked up. He led the team in points and penalty minutes last year. So <laughs> oops. Oh, there you go. <laughs> what's on tap here big 10 ohio state travels to michigan penn state travels to michigan state minnesota will head over to Notre dame to compton family ice arena and the u.s under 18s are not done they will travel on friday to wisconsin we'll do better about getting they, that score for you they they may <laughs> win that one so we'll see yeah we'll have to see wisconsin has had quite a little bit of a resurgence though in the past yes. couple of weeks so in fact uh, you're the pairwise guy we'll get to more of it but uh, do you still have the pairwise up do you know I where do. Our, our badgers are so Wisconsin, somehow 31. You know, we say somehow, but besides the the like 0-7 start to the season, they've been okay. Like so, yep. So to give some some context, 0-7. Uh since then, nine and six since then. So they're nine, 13, and 0. So they're still below 500. Uh, but I mean, what did this way? I mean, you can't say that there isn't a chance, right? No, because this isn't gonna happen. And I'll eat my own words if it does. If Wisconsin <laughs> continues to build and build and build, and they somehow shock and win the Big Ten tournament, they're in the dance. So it's not over for them. It's a very steep hill. But as you, as you mentioned, they're trending up as of late. And uh, if there's anything that might be more disappointing for the squad is if they end up playing some pretty good hockey towards the end, they're going to look back at that start, and you know they'll really kind of be the the big anchor to uh, to their playoff sales, if you call. Yeah, if they have the Gophers again and could sweep them, that would be something. Would be, um, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that would be, I would say, would be good for at least five or six That's spots. True. Yeah. yeah. Um, and on the Gophers side, yeah, yeah, on the Gophers side would not be ideal. Um, CCHA 2.0, not that Huskies fans would complain. Um, CCHA sure. 2.0, Ferris State travels to Lake Superior. Bemidji is at Bowling Green, and St. Thomas will travel to Michigan Tech. You're wondering about, well, where's my Mankato team? Well, they're headed to Arizona State for an independent matchup this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, ECAC, of course, not natural. Same with Hockey East. It's the only group that is not they're, – they're back to normal, which is – not normal. Um, Clarkson travels to Harvard on Friday. Um, and then Harvard has St. Lawrence on Saturday. Well, Clarkson has Dartmouth. So all these teams 
matching up. And then BU hosts Cornell for a single set on Saturday only. Hockey East, UMass travels to BU on Wednesday. Providence gets Merrimack, so keep an eye on that one. Uh, mm-hmm. Northeastern plays UConn on Saturday only, and New Hampshire plays UMass on Sunday, so we won't have a score for that, but it is coming up this weekend. Atlantic Hockey, Bentley at Niagara, and AIC at Vermont, single game set on Saturday only. And then other independent games, both involving Long Island, Princeton, will host Long Island on Friday and Quinnipiac will travel to Long Island on Saturday. So, um, yeah, we're back to relative normal, so to speak. Uh, NCHC wise here, Nick, uh, how about the Fairbanks and the Nooks? Yeah, <laughs> oh, about that. man, oh, Denver, Denver dropping, uh, to five. They were at seven at one point and, and crept back up to five in the pairwise, uh, three to one Fairbanks winning night. Number one and DU wasn't happy a seven, two no. victory for the Pios in night. Number two, if you're a Huskies fan here, this is where you're chomping at the bit because St. Cloud has nothing but NCHC opponents, the second half. And really the teams that you're paying attention to really, uh, I guess, pairwise wise, um, among other things are the team that you have this weekend in Colorado college. Um, You know, that's one that you really want to take care of, but if you're a Huskies fan, it doesn't help you conference wise, but pair wise wise, this could be the difference between a one seed and a two seed for the St. Cloud seed team. If they get the job done here, Um, were you shocked uh, to see this or Fairbanks Fairbanks is up to 18th in the pair wise. So, yeah, I still think I was shocked. I think most of the college hockey world was shocked with this. Uh, it's not to take anything from Alaska at all, but uh, let's just say on paper, they're just overmatched, right? Uh, against yeah. Denver, there's, there's no denying that. You would think. Uh, you would think. <laughs> but again, you still got to go out and execute a 60-minute game plan. And I didn't watch the game, as like I didn't watch the Winter yeah, Classic. But uh, at the end of it, you know, a couple of things. First of all, Denver only scoring once in Alaska, which historically has not been a very heavy defensive team is curious. And so you kind of wonder with the second score, seven and two uh, with maybe David Carl, maybe the message was you, you maybe shall we say, didn't uh, perform to your, uh, to your potential maybe on Friday is the best way to say it. Um, Obviously we don't know that, but uh, that's a big one for Fairbanks. That's a huge one. Yeah, they they gave Denver fits last year. It was, I believe, a 4-4 tie last year. Alaska dropping down to 21 after um, yesterday's results and the day before as well, too. So, But they were in the top 20 at one point. Can't imagine they made the poll. I don't see them. No. <laughs> Denver is actually behind St. Cloud in the poll. We'll get to that as well, too. We'll maybe touch on that that's with the Fairbanks. That's probably did help a little bit, but again, yeah. the polls mean nothing. Yeah, certainly mm-hmm. not. Um, but nonetheless, here, uh, Bemidji State traveled to Duluth. It was a 1-1 overtime finish in night number one, and then Duluth won 5-2 in night number two. So Huskies fans, slightly helpful, but not really. But this Bulldogs team, mm. um, yeah. How about this scare though? Lindenwood at North Dakota. Lindenwood Twice. in both in both of these games had had a lead. Had a lead. Um, UND had to claw back from a 3-2 deficit in the first night to win 4-3 and then 4-2 victory for North Dakota in the second night. Yeah. Um, This North Dakota team, Nick, is it fair to say they're not good? Um, I I don't know about that yet. And, you know, it's they're a young squad, right? And they just haven't really, they just haven't put it together in all facets of their game yet, right? And, And maybe it's, 
because we're in the same you know conference, the NCHC, and we're just like, wait a second, at some point the the finger is going to snap, and this this is going to be a freaking wagon of a team, which they can do, right? Yeah. Um, it's very rare that a Brad Barry's coach squad uh, goes through this type of up and down throughout the course of an entire season, right? There's a lot of talent there, right? And again, they're still very young. I still feel like goaltending um, and defense as a whole, I think that the loss of Jake Sanderson has really been a big shock to that blue core. Um, and again, a lot of the uh, the replacements are young freshmen or transfers that just they just haven't gelled yet. Um, so for North Dakota, here's the good news if you're in UND fan, not that they listen to this podcast, but you never know. Um, they're somehow in the top 16. They're tied for 14th. Somehow, even after they were in the mid to upper twenties, not that long ago. Yeah, strength of schedule, maybe. But strength of schedule. Um, now, granted, uh, when you play NCHC opponents, um, there's some room there, as we know. Yeah. Um, the NCHC is is a very weird conference through you know throughout the half first half here. So there's a chance to either cement yourself yeah. um, to an at large bid, or if you can't steal a game here, there from Denver, St. Cloud. Can we put Colorado College in? Because, yeah, they're in third in the NCHC, right? Yeah. O- um, OT finish against Quinnipiac and then a win in overtime against Minnesota really helps North Dakota. Just look, just looking back, they also beat Omaha, who's 25, so they have that comparison there. They did lose to Arizona State in a single-game matchup. Yeah. Um, other than that, they also lost to Miami, though, so I don't know why they're – they're uh, just yeah. they're just not a consistent hockey squad, right? No. Um, and again, there's still plenty of hockey to play. So for you, if for UND, they're they're not out of the woods by any means. Yeah, it's good to be in the top 16, but you know when you're right on the bubble, you know they're on the inside looking out. Yeah, but you're not at all safe, and uh, you've you've got a gauntlet of a conference schedule yet uh, yet to finish out that uh, can you know can put you in or outside of that bubble pretty quick. So um, they've got a long road ahead, um, just like our Huskies do per se. You know they're in a great spot, but let's just say that I think that their their position is a little bit more comfortable just based on what we've seen them play. Um, been more consistent, been more, uh, shall we say, decisive in their victories as well. Certainly would agree. Well, the last matchup we had for NCHU teams, Minnesota, a home-and-home against St. Cloud State Saturday, Sunday. The Huskies, a 3 to nothing victory in the first night. The Gophers winning 2-1 to one in overtime in the second night. So let's recap uh, those games, and then we'll talk about the weekend as a whole and everything that went into this. I mean, this was... I mean, two must-watch hockey games, especially the game yeah. on Sunday, was about, you know, when we talked about Olympic sheets were literally made for games like this and teams yeah. like this. I mean, you know, and say what you want about the NHL sheets and the NHL game, which is fine. I get the the closeness, the, the competitiveness. You know, you have to get through physical battles. You have to win foot races. But I've always been a proponent of an Olympic sheet when it comes to hockey like this because it is so wide open, and this is exactly what it's made for is speed and skill, you know, you have to be positionally sound. You have to, I mean, you look at some of the power play opportunities. I mean, you're largely in trouble if you're hemmed in your own zone. It's a it's survival mode for sure. So, um, but let's start with Saturday's contest. Of course, this one at the Herb Brooks National Hockey Center. Huskies winning three to nothing essentially was a one nothing game besides two yeah. goals at the end. Aiden Spellacy, the fourth line, his third of the season. Ryan Rosborough and Joey Molinar, three guys who really, I thought, earned the trust of Brett Larson this yeah. weekend. Um, Ryan Roseborough especially was mighty, mighty mm-hmm. impressive this weekend. I mean, this was, I don't know if this was his, his coming out party, but I mean, like he used every bit of his six foot three frame and he was dominant. I mean, absolutely dominant against a, one of the best teams in college hockey. And when we talked to Brett Larson, um, 
towards the end of last year, uh, we asked him about Ryan Roseborough, uh, about getting a shot late last year. And he said, you know, he just isn't quite there yet. But when he does, you know, because he is he's a natural centerman, right? Yep. So that size, um, apparently he's decent in the draws, still trying to develop that skill set. But uh, he said he's, he's kind of like this big jitterbug. You, you can play physical, can be very good defensive presence. And uh, we talked about how the fourth line last year, right, just wasn't, in fact, I think it's okay to say this. It was uh, the lack of a fourth line presence that effectively didn't help them carry through past the first round NCAA tournament bid, right? This year, it feels different. Uh, I think with Roseboro, with his size, um, he's positionally very, very good as we watched the, uh, this weekend. Um, not the most fleet of foot, uh, as we saw, but then again, uh, at the end of the day, I thought that you know, for the role that he's been put in, he's played exceptionally well mm-hmm. in terms of shut down some of the big guns that were coming up. He did really, really good. Would agree. Uh, Kyler Kupka, an empty netter uh, with less than a minute to play his sixth of the year. And then Grant Crookshank telling his 13th of the season from Josh Lidke with uh, 31 seconds left in that one. Josh Lidke actually uh, got stuck, not really by his, his own accord, but was flat footed in the Sunday contest. Uh, and it was Pitlick for Minnesota that essentially was off to the races. And everyone talked about Pitlick's speed, but Lidke almost caught him. He did. Uh, yes. The way yeah. that he was able to turn his hips. I was mighty impressed with that one. So um, something to keep an eye there. But you mentioned the faceoff dot Huskies 23 for 49 in the first night, 46.9% shots, 23, 22 in favor of the Gophers, very tight uh, on both sides of the puck, essentially a one, nothing hockey game. Uh, if yeah, you want to, you want to put it. So, yeah. Um, so although the last one not listed as one. Uh, so uh, with that being said, Jackson Castor 23 for 23. Um, perfect. Uh, and this is interesting. We'll touch on this, uh, you know, as we, look at the next game of the weekend too. Justin close at a nine Oh five stopping 19 of 21. But as I went through this weekend, Nick and Jackson caster got back to back starts, which he should have, uh, he, he, he earned yep. it. Um, I kept going back to Quinnipiac last year and thinking about how much doubt was placed on this kid and how much Huskies fans were like, I don't think he's going to be back in a Husky sweater. I don't, you know, he's not going to be the guy Dominic Bassey's going to come in and whatever. The journey for this kid, who was once a top 10 goaltending prospect in the NHL draft, had some eligibility issues, came back, has basically had to redshirt a season and play on the club team. I mean, he has done everything and then some to get to where he is now and to see him thrive in his senior year has just been exceptional. I mean, you looked at him in that gopher game that we're going to recap here on Sunday. He looked like a guy who had been there, done that, veteran, poised, calm, collected. I mean, not even remotely the same guy that we saw in the Quinnipiac game and really by no fault of his own. But I mean, he just was not rattled. He was dialed in. He was everything you would want from a netminder. And think about this. He's not even the defined starter for this team. How crazy is that? You know, and a lot of conversations been made about, you know, well, Brett Larson go back to rotation next weekend. We talked in the preseason, Noah, about how, we saw again with the departure of David Rennick that there was a question. I didn't think it was a fair question, uh, not because the results of the game against Quinnipiac, right? But more so with David Rennick's departure, there was a door, a dope, a dope, and or my gosh, wow, an open door, <laughs> wow, Nick, jeez, it's been good. <laughs> Um, for the goaltending position, right? And we sort of figured, at least I predicted, it would be rotation. But then maybe when you get to the second half. If a goaltender starts to emerge or earn the trust, he he might get those back to back weekends. Um, 
again, Jackson Castor getting the first back-to-back of the entire season. And really, I mean, again, a shutout against the Gophers. They haven't been shut out in how long? A while? Like 2017? A while. A while. Um, <laughs> and then beyond that, looked very, very good on Sunday. I know we'll get more into detail here in just a bit. But, you know, at the end of it, I think he's earned the net from here on forward. And I think maybe was this the test from Brett Larson uh, to give him that Ooh. or does, and I, and I think this is the, is the million dollar question right now, or maybe it's the second round question, however you phrase it. Does the ghosts of last year against Quinnipiac, does he maybe still want to keep a rotation with Dominic Bassey, who's still a very, very good and capable goaltender? Um, or does Jackson Castor get the keys? I think this is an interesting, uh, you know, interesting point in the season. What do you think? Yeah, I I don't think we're at that point where we we can select a starter yet, specifically because, and I want to make sure before I speak too soon, I believe, uh, yes, that Dominic Bassey's numbers are better than Jackson Castor to this point. I mean, I was about to mention statistically, Castor has not been the better goaltender, and that's like that's speaking to the strength of how good Husky's goaltending is. For those who are curious, right. by the way, uh, Bassey's played in nine, Castor's played in eleven. They were essentially tied entering the holiday break. Uh, Bassey's seven and two caster eight and three. Uh, Bassey's allowed 16 casters allowed 21, a one seven, nine for Bassey and a one nine zero for Jackson. So caster. Um, a nine 27 for caster and a nine 30 for Dominic Bassey. Um, yeah. Two shutouts for Bassey, one for caster. Um, that's what I'm saying is I, how can you look at that tandem and say, you want to pick one guy? They've just both been right. electric. And I think that it, it's a great problem to have something that Brett Larson really hasn't had in his tenure, even his first right. year here. I mean, he kind of had it with David Rennick and, um, and Smith, but like, it wasn't really, that. it wasn't a for sure. Yeah. yeah rotation. Um, so I, I think you got to roll them both. I, I don't think anybody's earned that spot. And that's not to say, I mean, both of the, both of these guys on any NCHC team, if they were alone would hands down be the starter in their respective clubs. That's how good this goaltending core has been for St. Cloud. And that's where it's like, holy smokes, the Huskies have a great, great problem on their hands. So I I think that I don't think you can go with one guy yet. Um, But Mm -hmm. Castro certainly made the case to say, you know, we, we all thought Bassey too. And people had talked about it, you know, a month ago where Bassey's numbers were maybe slightly better than they are now compared to Castor. And they said, oh, yeah, Bassey's going to be the guy as we enter the second half. Well, not to be. And this is where both of these guys have pushed each other. They've challenged each other. And I think Castor, too, you know, being a senior, maybe you give him a look at the first tournament game if they're both neck and neck just because of age. But we'll have to see. Uh, Speaking of that, though, no team, of course, scoring on Saturday on the power play. 0 for 3 for Minnesota, 0 for 4 for the Huskies. On Sunday, 2-1 to overtime finish. The Gophers winning this one. Matty Nyes, his 12th of the season from Cooley and Jimmy Snuggerud. Hey, those world junior names keep popping up. Um, Yeah, St. Cloud responded uh, in the same period. This is period number three. Uh, About five minutes, I believe five minutes and one second later, Chase Brand mm-hmm. is second of the season from Brendan Bushy and Dylan Anhorn. Huskies had six, I believe six odd man rushes in the, in the third period. Yeah. Um, and then Minnesota in overtime, 18 seconds left. Logan Cooley's 11th of the year from Brock Faber, who of course made a really nice play. Minnesota was one for three on the power play. Their uh, opening 
goal here uh, was. And then 0 for 3 was St. Cloud and the man advantage as well. Shots 30 to 22 in favor of Minnesota. Faceoff percentage was much better for the Huskies, 23 for 41 for a 56.1% clip. Um, Jackson Caster stopping 28 of 30 for a 9.33, and Justin Close 21 of 22 for a 9.55. Um, a real goaltending duel, and then some here. You know, and it's interesting because I would say in this one, not in period number one, but for sure the second period, and maybe the first half of period number three, St. Cloud was outplayed, outchanced. Yes. Minnesota was all over them. They were buzzing from the energy in the building. Um, but then the Huskies figured it out, and maybe the last like eight minutes or so of period number three had a really good chance. Um, missed calls both ways. Oh, I, sure. yeah. I don't think that you could really pin it on one. I think the tackle in overtime kind of stunk. If you were a Huskies fan watching, um, I believe it was Lidkey, if I'm not mistaken, trying to pick that his way, yep. trying to pick his way out of his own zone. But that's where you want to move a puck up, you know, puck possession versus, you know, alleviating pressure kind of thing. But uh, the Huskies, nothing to hang their, their heads about. They no. played the best team in the country and almost swept them. Uh, I mean, it was everything that you could have asked for. You had the World Junior kids in the lineup. They all look exceptional. Dylan Anhorn made about three or four grade A stops in that yes. game defensively. He looked good. Jack Peart um, was up and down, but I thought as the game wore on, he got better too. Better. Yeah. Um, and good to see him go against his World Junior teammates. So I, I, I think this hockey game had everything that you could ask for as a college hockey fan. And I think if you're a Huskies fan, Hard to come away disappointed from this weekend. I know people want St. Cloud to be number one eh. in the pairwise in the polls. Minnesota hasn't had a blemish this season. Bemidji State and Miami for St. Cloud. Quinnipiac, weaker conference, but they haven't faltered yet. Yep. Um, so I, I think this had everything. Uh, the pace was much better on Sunday, and it was a heck of a contest. It did, and as I, I tweeted out earlier, they didn't give up an even-strength goal to the Gophers all weekend. It was a power play goal, and then in three-on-three in overtime, which for those you know playing the home game, yeah. that doesn't happen in the NCAAs. You don't get three-on-three in overtime. And it took five periods for the Gophers to score. Yeah, so you, you don't do that to a loaded squad. And you know, just to kind of recap some of the things you said, yeah, the second period they looked a little bit at times a little discombobulated, disorganized. They were definitely hemmed in. I think a couple of times. You know, you, you wish maybe if you're a head coach, you get it off a glass and out just to, you know, kind of relieve the pressure valve instead of, you know, trying to skateboard. I know that you yeah. want a counter punch and you can't just keep doing that. But sometimes, again, when you're in, you know, handing your zone for 90 seconds, sometimes you just got to get it out. Right. So yeah. um, I think really the only blemish for St. Cloud really probably was the power play. What, 0 for 7 the whole weekend, yeah. um, you know, where you had maybe a chance. Um, to to maybe pad a lead and gain night number one, uh, you could have used it to either take a lead or crawl back or maybe take a lead in game number two. But again, only one special team uh, special team goals and was the Gophers again in night and, number two. And you talked about the flip side of that a mediocre PK that really looked really good this really weekend. good and defensive structure, especially on Sunday. You know, bending but not breaking, especially with that big ice sheet. Were there a couple of scares? Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. But I thought as a unit, as a collective box, essentially roving, uh, you know, w with the roving box or essentially the triangle plus one in some senses, the way that they set up, this Gophers team knows how to move the puck and they know how to use <laughs> utilize that big ice sheet well. And I thought St. Cloud, it was one of their better penalty killing weekends, albeit giving up that goal. And then on top of that, uh, play. Yeah. yeah, just defensively in general, I thought even though they were under duress, it it didn't I almost didn't feel worried about it you know what I mean like like St. Cloud was so sound that yes 
Minnesota had a couple of really good looks that maybe they should have potted in period number two. But St. Cloud, when they were able to reset, it didn't feel like once they were running around, they continued running around. It was like a flurry of chances, close call, reset, the box was back. It wasn't It wasn't where you saw where once they got out of position, they were struggling for two and a half minutes. They might have been in their own zone for two and a half minutes, but it was like they gave up a grade A, but then they were back in the defensive box and they were able to stymie the storm and not allow another chance through the middle. And that was something that when you come to tournament time and you face a team like Bob Motzko's Gophers, you have to be able to weather a storm like that. And I think one thing I'll add to that, Noah, is, you know, yeah, there were times, I think the first half of the second period, they, I mean, they were out of sync, um, I think is the best way to put it. Um, they yeah. were some, a lot of bending. Um, but again, second half of the second period, I think after the TV timeout, you could tell that something clicked, right? Which is, hey, uh, first of all, you're doing okay, right? Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of the old three Minnesota while, which is the structure was good. Again, there wasn't a lot of grade A's. And again, in a bigger ice sheet with the width is so wide, right, Noah, mm-hmm. is it you get a lot where it's called over pursuing the puck, right? Which yeah. is opening up lanes in the middle. The St. Cloud Huskies didn't really do that. They kept uh, collapsing the middle. They forced a lot of the chances the outside. If you notice the end of the second, and especially in the third, they really wanted to take the puck wide and the Gophers. And then they were just almost trying to crash into the net. They didn't have mm-hmm. the pretty passing plays into the slot, those high danger areas, because the Huskies weren't giving it to them. Um, mm-hmm. So that's where I noticed that maybe some of that strength, uh, especially the speed differential, uh, was on display for the Gophers when they just said, you know, we're just going to have to go to those dirty areas and maybe just try to jam one through. Um, but if you can force a skill team like Minnesota to go to that game plan, you're doing something right defensively. And again, not a single even strength goal allowed by the Huskies for the Gophers. Just in that in itself was quite impressive. Um, yeah, sure, it wasn't pretty all the time, uh, but like I said, they bent, they didn't break, and uh, they have a blueprint now where if these teams meet again um, sometime in the NCAA tournament, albeit a smaller ice sheet, um, they know exactly what they have to do and what was successful for them this weekend. Yeah, and I think if you're a defenseman on an Olympic sheet, shoot the puck from anywhere, right? Because of all this time mm-hmm. and space that you have. But yeah, let teams hang out on the perimeter. I think we see it in every level on every ice sheet. Even in men's league, you see it where it's like when you start to over-pursue a guy down in the corner along the goal line that's right along the half wall moving up or whatever is not a threat, right? Exactly. But, if, but if you start puck watching and you let guys enter through the middle of the ice, then they start to become a threat. So um, mm-hmm. I, I think St. Cloud did stick to their structure very well. We have one more topic to discuss related to the Minnesota weekend, Nick, but is there any other on ice thing that you wanted to discuss related to the weekend series? I mean, it was just it was must, must watch hockey and it did not disappoint. I think there's an if there's one other thing to, for the Huskies is that I feel like they got they passed up a lot of shot opportunities yeah. um, in Sunday's game. Um, I get it. Um, again, the Gophers, you, you got to give them they were they're good defensively too, but they had opportunities where again six Aben rushes in the third. Um, they had a couple of opportunities. Uh, Mike and Miller in the third, where I think he had a three on one out of the corner from a turnover and try to do like a spin move. And I get it. I'm not trying to. You know, filmed yeah. on Mike and Miller, but he had passing options there where if you can make that goaltender move laterally, um, I don't know. I, I just feel or, like there was or just being confident. I think we we go back to this all the time, and this is what good goal scorers do. They almost like hockey's a team game, right? You know, oh, I yeah. scored five goals, my teammates helped me, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. But sometimes you have to be willing to be a little bit selfish. Sometimes mm-hmm. when you get a puck inside the dots below the top of the circle, you have to say, this is my puck. I'm gripping it and I'm ripping it. And you have to realize that you shoot the biscuit 90, 95, 100 miles an hour in some cases. It's like 
you're in a prime scoring area. You run this in practice all the time. I know you're shooting this puck in practice all the time when you're in this area. Why does it suddenly change during a game? You know, you don't have to hit a guy back door just because, yeah, sure, it may be a tap in, or you don't have to make that play just because it, it makes you look selfish if it doesn't go in the back of that. If you're in a scoring area, you're allowed to score. You're allowed to put yeah. a puck on net. You know what I mean? Like, and I think so many hockey players, they they see these tic-tac-toe plays or they have it ingrained from coaching or whatever that they need to move the puck. They need to be unselfish with the puck. Man, you're a division one college hockey player. When you get in a scoring area and you have a shooting lane, pick a corner and take it. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. No. And, you know, to, to build off that, right, Noah, sometimes you can create havoc by putting a puck on that, right? Justin Close, a few different times, wasn't very clean with his rebound control, especially when shots were coming through. And uh, shall we say you can, what's called the shot pass, right? If you're off to the and, side, get it low, you know, low pad, you can flick it off right to the slot as a rebound. Sometimes you can be purposeful in your shot, in your shot selection, in your slot um, your slot, my, I just can't. No, I Seriously, man, you're being silly. Seriously. Um, but you can, you know, you can, you know, select your shot in terms of where on the net where you know you're going to get a rebound off the goaltender because it's a reflective save, right? He has one option that is to essentially to stick the pad out, and that's going to lead just by a geometry a puck going into a high danger rebound area. So you can use that to your advantage too. Um, so it, it's not the worst thing in the world, but come tournament time, you have to prioritize shots to the net, make that goaltender make a save. And if again, Dave Shyak, the grease pan goals, it's what we saw the Huskies do quite a bit in success um, that got them to their national tournament runs. So um, maybe simplifying it a bit there, but yeah, like you said, they need to shoot the puck more um, and be, like I said, more selfish at times. So I thought that St. Cloud had won the pairwise battle with the overtime finish. But as I look, RPI belongs to Minnesota. And of course that's where those other games, um, you know, well, they won with, the pairwise battle between the two of them. So I thought that, but head to head, it says one equals one here. So, um, how the hell is that possible? I don't know how that is either. Um, but nonetheless, it says two to two on each side. So it says head to head, each team gets a point. Minnesota wins RPI, St. Cloud wins common opponents. Um, I thought they changed it where if it was an overtime win, that, that I thought, was, I thought so too. And maybe this just isn't updated to reflect that system, but nonetheless, at worst, St. Cloud tied Minnesota in the pairwise, and the tiebreaker is RPI, which Minnesota has a better RPI because they don't have a blemish the rest that of the is. season. Um, but St. Cloud might have that extra edge too. But nonetheless, a very successful weekend for the Huskies. You can't doubt that. Um, St. Cloud moving up to third in the pairwise. We'll touch on that in just a few moments. The other piece I want to touch on before we preview what's on tap here in the NCHC, of course, standings didn't change. They will next week, obviously. A lot of comments about the broadcast, uh, the Valley Sports broadcast specifically, Nick. Um, and you and I kind of sure. talked about this pre-show and whether we didn't want to touch on this. And I think that, you know, uh, Kelly Panic was on. And it, um, to be fair, I think from a year and I perspective, because we've both been in between the benches, she didn't add much. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't think it's un, I don't think it's unfair to say that it just she didn't add an extra perspective of the game at ice level that really teased a lot of what would be going on out down there was there was some thoughtfulness, but I, I, to me, it just felt like maybe more just the inexperience in the broadcasting headset, yeah. you know. Because I, I mean, she, I mean, she wasn't she wasn't bad. She just didn't like for me. It just it just felt like someone taking up space for the purpose of interjecting versus you, you know what I mean, like giving me tangible information. Like, ooh, I'm down here at ice level, and Bob Motzko is livid right now. Something that you wouldn't tease from seeing the normal broadcast view, kind of thing. Right, and you know, I think you and I've been in the shoes too. I can tell you from my my time with HP um, that 
sometimes it's just the brain is turning and just this isn't following suit, right? Where you can see something and maybe it's an athlete thing where because you're kind of thinking ahead and you just kind of forget maybe your mouth's a bit behind you a little bit, or maybe it's you're you're trying to compartmentalize so much information in such a short time that whatever you're trying to, shall I say, contribute to the broadcast, this doesn't maybe get communicated the best way. Um, that's part of it. I, I don't think she's a seasoned broadcaster, so I'm no. trying to give her the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, this is a this was a matchup that had uh, a lot of eyes on it. So you kind of wonder if maybe that was in her own head. I think we've all, even as broadcasters, have been in our own heads, mm-hmm. you know, with bigger games. Um, you know, I, I get it. Uh, I'm not I'm not going to slam a fellow broadcaster. Um, but uh, you know, at the end of it, uh, I thought the Bally's broadcast was fine. The play by play guy. I thought actually did a very, very yeah. good job. A lot of people had mentioned they felt like it was a basketball broadcast. I didn't get that feeling. I think, it, like you all. said, I mean, you're a play-by-play guy in the null. You know, I work as a color guy in the null. And, you know, I think both of us working together in that role. I mean, Ben Clymer on color, for example, of course, don't forget, it's a Bally Sports broadcast. That is the carrier for Gopher Hockey. So, yes, is mm-hmm. it going to be slightly Minnesota-based? Sure, well, but I thought... why he's there. Yeah. One in there. <laughs> yeah, and I thought he was objective. I think he really brings great color color analysis to the game mm-hmm. um and i thought for, like for me from a color analyst perspective i'm pushing whatever it is now 140 games or something like that as a color analyst 150 whatever it is i think that he was more than fine and more than adequate and it has always been and that play-by-play voice nick maybe you can speak to this um i didn't think his references were off base i thought he followed the play i thought he encapsulated the energy and i thought his pacing was really good and i thought he yeah. let the moments breathe that needed to breathe and i thought he interjected when he needed to you know and that's his style right and again with television broadcasts it's much different than a simulcast or a radio cast um it's almost like you can actually talk too much in a television broadcast it's almost yeah. like you're just kind of picking things here and there that you feel like are most important at the time and you know trying to get in essentially the the most concise way of explaining what's happening, right? Um, there is an art form to that. Um, Emotions-wise, I thought he was fine. Um, you know, there were some some good references here and there. Um, I, again, I thought he did a good job. Yeah, um, his his pre-pack was really nice too. Like yes. he, he was very controlled, and um, you know, like you said, Kelly Panic a little bit, you know, mo- inexperienced. So you know, that was a piece of it. But then Ben Clymer jumped into the rest of the pre-pack to look very good. And when I, when I mentioned Kelly Panic, and when I say she didn't bring anything to the broadcast, I'm not saying it in the sense that like, oh, I don't like Kelly Panic, or she she shouldn't get another shot. I mean it in the sense that the role that she was designated in, there's a specific thing that you're looking for when you work eyesight. Like I said, you're trying to pull in that extra piece that the fan at home is not going to gather if they know the game of hockey and they're watching the play on develop like you're trying to pull out the storylines the the things between the benches the things that the common fan can't see or hear or feel because they're not in the building and mm-hmm. i think that that will come with time with her so i don't mean it in the negative way for her personally i want to clarify that i mean it in the sense that for that particular broadcast the role wasn't flourishing in terms of her trying to tease some of that information out, if that makes and, sense. And for television folks too, that could also be a producer thing yeah. too, right? Because, you know, if you have an idea that you want to bring on uh, two color commentators and you don't necessarily, you know, decipher a different approach or, you know, what type of information you're looking for too, sometimes it can be a producer issue where, um, you, you have an idea in your head and you want a couple different perspectives, but what is that perspective, right? How do they differ, right? And sometimes yeah. if you don't define it well enough, um, they seem to almost mesh together as to one, right? And so, you know, 
that's the other part of the equation, right? Is sometimes it is, you know, the person that's in their ear that's not, you know, shall we say, actively reading what's being said and trying to maybe adapt on the fly too, because especially if she's uh, is inexperienced, and again, I don't know her career um, totally so, but it did kind of feel like to me, just based on what I saw, that maybe just some inexperience was at play. That's where the producer role almost like you're almost an on the spot coach, right? You have to be in that person's ear, simplify it, uh, you know, and make sure it's you know you're given a different angle, uh, this and that. So it could have been that as well. Yeah, and it def- and it, her defined role too, right? Cause, so. When you're in between the benches, there's some crews that they want the third man in to be like interjecting constantly. Um, Pierre McGuire. Yeah, terrible <laughs> example, but exactly. Pierre same, McGuire. Same thing, right? Brian Boucher, too. Brian Another, Boucher. Ray Ferraro likes to jump in as well. Guys that they're they're comfortable with their teams. Brian Other Nick groups, some, sometimes, yeah, sometimes you, you you pull it back into the point where you say, okay, you, I need a point from you at the five-minute mark, the 10-minute mark, the 15-minute mark, and those are kind of your times to really pick something up and we'll kind of relay to you at that point. I don't know what that it, the dynamic was. I thought her mic in general was a little bit soft too, so they needed to turn her up just a tad as well too. But nonetheless, little nitpicky things. Overall, I thought the broadcast was just fine, especially from a Huskies perspective. And realizing that Valley Sports is the gopher carrier. It's like if a gopher fan watches Fox yeah. 9 and says, oh, why is this St. Cloud State Could run? You imagine? If, well, like, could you imagine <laughs> if the a goal. gopher fan watched Fox 9 with uh, Gino and uh, with Rick? You know, I guarantee you that, you know, the, shall we say the bias meter, <laughs> Jim, much more towards Jim and, uh, to yeah. Jim and uh, Gino than it would be to yeah. the Bally's uh, broadcast booth. Yeah. I don't know who Rick was. I think you were thinking of rich for Jim rich, but Jim rich. that's what yeah. Rick, Rick is there. You just don't know it. Um, yeah, and you have a and you have a producer in your ear the entire time too. People don't get Correct. that. So I, I love people. I love when people people were ripping Dave Starman too at the World Juniors when he was not even on site. He was in New Jersey, and I think it's, it's funny. So because, tough. Yeah, I think it's funny when people are always like, "Oh yeah, he doesn't offer this. He can't whatever this and that." And it's like you can't see it. Um, yeah, it, like and- like like come do it. Come try it. And that's the thing. It's like when I again going back to the Kelly Panic thing. I don't claim for myself to be, you know, an amazing broadcaster, but I do have almost 150 games, many of which at the division one level, a lot in junior hockey. I pretty much run the broadcast for the Minotauros. And I would say that I have enough experience where I can comment on that from experience. And I'm trying to pull from that objectively, not trying to, you know, bury her for the sense of just speaking as an armchair broadcaster, so to speak. But there's a lot of people that like to do that. And it's like, Man, I, I don't know until same you do people. it. It's the same people who think that Brock Buster is going to get traded to the wild. It's the exact <laughs> same people. Um, but, but seriously, uh, well, when we called the games, uh, meaning myself and some others for KVSC in the pod, right? We did it from the basement um, yeah. in Stewart Hall. We were on essentially calling it from a 42-inch monitor, which, uh, first of all, was in maybe 720i. Um, was the feed. Um, so it wasn't that's, great. That's not good for those who are curious. Right. And for those who, for those who like maybe, well, maybe can a camera crew, um, imagine that same camera crew and I have to call based on that. There's so much of the game mm-hmm. that you use the peripherals. Now, granted, you and I both play the game, so that's kind of natural to us, right? But I think we all forget that it's a big part of our broadcast too, in terms of looking at, you know, a player coming out from like behind the net on the, you know, just trying to get the puck out. You're looking, yes, at the defense, but you're also looking at where the forwards are. You know, are they rushing two up or are they kind of in a, you know, condensed breakout as a unit type thing, right? There's so much that you can see and helps you predict more than anything of what's about to happen. 
you lose so much of that, and especially behind the play yeah. type stuff, right? Um, it's a lot difficult, uh, more difficult than what it looks. Um, mm. so like you said, I would challenge anybody, myself and calling uh, eight to nine games in the pod again for St. Cloud back in 2020. Um, you had to adjust, like you just had to adjust. I mean, again, with the even yeah. the feed quality, you know, I was going off of numbers sometimes and the nameplates, and sometimes knowing that it was a radio audience, I wasn't always confident that the name I was calling out was the right name, but you have to almost kind of sell it, right, per se. Yeah. So that way it's like, okay, well, someone probably will catch it. I get that. But if I make it sound convincing enough, then you know, for those who aren't watching the game or watching the stream and they're hearing this audio feed, they're going to feel like, yep, this is actually what's happening. Yeah, and that happens all the time too, where sometimes you just don't pick up numbers and we're all getting better. We go back to Kelly's case. I go back to a game I did 10 games ago. I I, I want improvements I have to make. I listened back to one of our, I actually listened back to the interview we did with Bob Motzko. I wanted to go back all the way and listen to us and think about us and how we've grown in those sorts of things. So, you know, continued reps and opportunities are vitally important as well. Well, let's talk about reps here that we're going to have in the NCH here. We'll encapsulate men's hockey. Miami travels to Denver. Western travels to North Dakota. Uh, Duluth will be in Omaha and CC travels to St. Cloud state here. Of course, the Huskies uh, very quickly here, Nick, uh, the team right behind them in the standings in the yeah. NCHC. What does St. Cloud have to do against these Tigers? Well, I think it's pretty simple right now for uh, St. Cloud State, and that is if you can play the same type of way you did against the Gophers, but maybe, again, get more shots through the goaltender, that's a winning formula. Um, we've talked about Grant Crookshank and Zach Okabe and some of the offensive numbers um, that they've had and some others on this team because they're more eye-popping, right? One of the things that actually the Bally's broadcast brought up was just how good and how you know stingy defensively St. Cloud has been all season. Again, one of the better goals for versus goals against ratios in all of college hockey. And for St. Cloud, or not for St. Cloud, for Colorado College, one of the big blemishes they've had on the season is at times they've kind of gone dry offensively, right? Um, yeah. They're very spurty. Um, what was it? On one weekend, I think it was Arizona State, they went and crushed them like 6 nothing. Um, and then the next night they lost like four to one or something like that. It's been very, uh, you know, one game in, one game out for them. So you played a consistent effort against the Gophers. You're going to have to repeat that. And again, Colorado College, they can smell a home uh, playoff for the NCHC in their sights. They know they're going to have to hold on to that. Yeah. And more so, they want to eclipse St. Cloud State. Let's not forget that if you pull the, uh, the NCHC standings here, Noah, that CC is not that far away from St. Cloud State. In Three fact, points. They're three points, right? Yeah. So if you split, you're still three points. If you're a CC and sweep, you're now into second place. And if Denver doesn't play a conference, you're tied for first place. Yeah. So. Those those wins would have to be in regulation. The weekend you were talking about, by the way, was Air Force, where they won eight nothing and then lost six to three. So um yeah, kind of a weird weekend for them. But yeah, it should be an interesting one. Uh, the Tigers have given this Huskies team's fits in St. Cloud before too. So keep an eye on that one. Pairwise standings here and poll standings. Of course, St. Cloud in third in the most recent poll. Two first place votes for them. Fourth place, Denver got three first place votes. Minnesota in second with five and Quinnipiac has 40. Um, okay. Um, sure. Yeah, I mean, they're 17, one and three. Um, you know, Quinnipiac has Say what you want. Like I said, they it's they haven't had a blemish yet. And again, until yeah. you know they play opponents from shall we say west of what New York, Buffalo, um, they're going to probably stay in the number two spot all the way probably through uh, the selection time. I just that's yeah. the way it's going to be. 
Pairwise wise, Minnesota, Quinnipiac, St. Cloud, Penn State, and Denver round out your top five. Ohio, Ohio State, Michigan, BU, Harvard, and Merrimack at 10, both in pairwise and polls still. So they're still hanging around here. Mm-hmm. Corn- Cornell up to 11 in the pairwise. Actually curious to see what this Cornell team does. They have a couple of comparisons against NCHC teams that help them a little bit. Western Michigan at 12. Tech of Michigan at 13, Michigan State at 14, along with North Dakota at 15, Notre Dame at 16. Then UConn, Mankato, who has jumped recently, um, Providence, BC, round out your top 20, Fairbanks right behind them. Other Minnesota schools, Bemidji is tied for 22, Omaha for NCHC is at 25, Duluth is at 30, CC <laughs> at 31, along with Wisconsin, like you mentioned, Miami at 38. Um, so CC actually did jump quite a bit recently. Um, St. Thomas is at 47. So um, keeping an eye on that one. Uh, yeah, nothing else really to note. Alaska Anchorage has slightly improved to 53, <laughs> which is cool. Yeah. Um, but with with that being said, I think that maybe encapsulates everything we want to talk about as far as the men's side. Let's head o- over to the women here. We want to give them a fair amount of time. Minnesota Wild stuff will probably cruise through pretty quickly. Yeah, so um Women's side here, a couple of tournaments to note. Uh, Finland going 4-0 in the Five Nations Tournament. This was in Angleholm, December 13th through the 17th. Of course, this is kind of essentially a season that they do. So uh, mm-hmm. the first one was in, I'm going to butcher all these names, I'm sure, Vieramaki, Finland. Um, mm-hmm. The Finns also went 4-0. This was on November 8th through the 12th. Sweden, Czechia, Switzerland, and Germany finishing in that order. Um, so essentially, it's three tournaments in a row, and they see who you know, wins them all. The Finns have won them both. This last tournament, a couple of Huskies in there. Yanina Newland, a top 10 in tournament points, had two goals, three assists, five points. She was tied for fourth along with Clara Himlerova for Czechia. Um, she led in goals and points for her respective team. Three goals, two assists, five points. Um, a team best plus three and a power play goal had her tied for fourth best points in the tournament. Sonia Hola in net, uh, for the Finns as well, 2-0, a 9-0-9, which was sixth in the tournament, and a 1.00 goals against, which was tied for first and had a shutout against Germany. Um, so pretty impressive. Laura Zimmerman, three goals for the Swiss, um, was 3-1 and one in that tournament. And uh, is it Svenja Vogt? Is that how I say Vogt. it? Yep. Vogt, okay. Uh, four games for Germany, the second youngest player on the team. Had two shots on goal, did not register a point. But uh, – Pretty impressive showing for the Finns. I uh, am yeah. we'll keep an eye on that one. This was a tournament that we kind of wanted to encapsulate, but we've been keeping an eye on on this one. Of course, other hockey going on. Uh, the under eighteen women's worlds mm-hmm. going on right now, January eighth through the fifteenth in Osterson, Sweden. Uh, Team USA joins Canada, Finland, and Sweden in Group A. Czechia, Slovakia, the Swiss, and Japan are in Group B. The U.S. beat Finland eight to one earlier today. Yeah. Uh, so we'll keep an eye on that one as much as we can. WCHA wise, though, Nick, rounding this up from last week, Wisconsin split with this Badgers team had a tough one. Uh, they it's split. Good. They split with Quinnipiac. They won three nothing and lost three nothing last week, Saturday, Sunday. And then they played a team called Duluth and Huskies fans, probably the one of the few times they were cheering for the Badgers. They got no help no this help. Saturday and Sunday. Duluth three to one and one nothing, a sweep of the Wisconsin Badgers. In fact, I know they had a great team the past couple of years, but I wonder the last time Duluth has swept Wisconsin. I should go back and look at the historical. The last time that Wisconsin was swept too, that was going to be hard to find. Oh, I bet you Ohio State maybe or Minnesota probably had them. Um, well, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, that's a 
huge blow, not necessarily for Wisconsin, actually. Um, I know they, they might put him put him at a touching distance of the top spot or top two. It's a big blow to Huskies fans here. Yeah. Uh, you have a six-point gap now that has opened up into a seven-point gap or six points this weekend pushed it to a seven point gap. I should say mm-hmm. for the Huskies trying to chase this team down. So not ideal. RIT traveled to St. Thomas and St. Thomas outscored them eight to one in the weekend. Mankato beat Lindenwood by a combined score of 13 to two. Bemidji state and Ohio state were both off. And then Minnesota and St. Cloud were in the East West showcase. Yep. The Gophers played Merrimack first. They won nine to two in that one, New Hampshire in night number two, they won eight to one. Huskies were flipped, so they beat New Hampshire three to nothing in the first night and three to one against Merrimack in the second night. So um, we'll get to the standings in a moment, but first, that Friday night win over UNH, uh, the Huskies outshooting them twenty-five to twenty-four. They were one for four on the power play compared to zero for five for UNH on their respective chances. Forty-five point six percent in the dot, twenty-six for fifty-seven. Um, Jojo Choback stopping 24 of 24. Perfect. Both Huskies netminders, both three to nothing wins in their first games of the weekend with shutouts. Uh, Nikki Harnett on the other side, 22 of 24 for a 917. Not bad. Um, no, not I mean, empty netter for Allie Cornelius. Her second goal of the game from Courtney Hall and Tatum Geyer sealed it in period number three. One goal in each period for the Huskies, essentially. Cornelius in the second um, from Courtney Hall as well. Courtney Hall, a natural playmaker for her, also assisting on the opening goal from Clara Himlerova on the power play, her 13th of the season. So uh, good showing for the women in the first night. And then the second mm-hmm. night, they beat Merrimack three goals again for them, giving up one. Clara Himlerova opening the scoring again, once again on the power play, her 14th from Bailey Burton and Grace Wolf. Addie Scribner, her third of the season from Mackenzie Bourgeray, and Himlerova again on the power play, her second goal of the game from Emma Gentry and Nina Newland. Those all coming in the second period, and Merrimack tallied their own with three minutes to play in that one. So in that was Sonny Ahola, who stopped 17 of 18 for a 9.44. Emma Gorski stopped 29 of 32 for a 9.06 on the other side. Huskies were 36 for 63 with a 57.1% clip in the faceoff circle. Two for seven on the power play. A lot of opportunities in this one. And one for four was Merrimack on their respective opportunities as Merrimack was outshot 32 to 18 in the game. Nick, women did what they had to do. It was non-conference, but confidence builder moving into the following weekend. Yeah, it's a confidence builder. And again, it's a holiday tournament. Um, you're, if, if anything, you're just trying to make sure you get back on the right track. And, you know, they did that again, six uh, goals for one goal against in the weekend series against uh, two decently, de- you know, uh, good schools. Uh, but like you said, um, that hill to climb to get to maybe a home ice position just got a lot mm-hmm. steeper just because uh, Shelly Duluth had a really good season uh, yeah. against Wisconsin. But um, they're still in a good spot. Yeah, kind of right. Um, but again, this weekend coming up, they're going to be uh, huge. You know, on uh, and uh, Minnesota State and Mankato, yeah, huge is uh, an understatement. Um, hey, guess, I would say. Yeah. hey, guess who's behind them in the standings, Nick? Minnesota State. Yeah, by three points. St. Cloud at 19, Minnesota State at 16, Duluth jumping from 21 to 27 points. Um, Big deal for them. Wisconsin is within touching distance of Minnesota and Ohio State. Just depends if they run out of weekends, basically. Um, Minnesota. um, Because I'm not sure what the head to head is, but uh, for St. Cloud, if you you get six points and granted Duluth, if they stumble, right, which they probably won't, but if you do, uh, that only gets you up to, uh, it gets you within two. um, Yeah. 
because uh, right now it's an eight-point gap. But uh, yeah, Duluth has uh, looked uh, nice, I'm, pretty strong. To unfortunately, Duluth has the worst team in the conference. They have Bemidji at home. So yeah, that's Wis- not- Wisconsin travels to Ohio State, though, so a big weekend for the Badgers. They need to take at least one, if not both. St. Thomas will travel to Minnesota, and like we mentioned, St. Cloud will host Mankato. Minnesota and Ohio at 41 points, respectively, in that order. Wisconsin at 37, then Duluth, St. Cloud, Mankato, and then St. Thomas at 8, and Bemidji at 3 as we get ready for mm-hmm. the second half on the women's side. St. Cloud, uh, you want to give yourself a good chance to, uh, unfortunately, but fortunately, but unfortunately, face Duluth in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. You got to take care of uh, Mankato here this weekend. This is a big one. It's a big one. And, uh, you know, it it may not be home ice, but maybe it's maybe can we avoid the big three? Right. Can we give ourselves a chance? Right. Because at the end of it, uh, this team under Idolsky's leadership, um, again, 13 and 10. Uh, so they're over 500. Uh, it's been a while since we've said that um, at any point, especially now we're halfway through the season. Um, a lot of players, including the uh, the folks you mentioned, are Himlerova. Um, who else am I thinking of? Indiana um, Newland. Indiana Newland. Uh, they've already had career-setting. Um, Ta- Taylor Lind. Taylor um, Lind. So, you know. Uh, you know what's interesting too, uh, and here's my question: Not the Huskies, I think, have a really good shot at fifth place for sure in the WCHA, mm-hmm. which which we talked about will be a very successful season. Do you want Duluth or Wisconsin in that first round? I like I almost don't know because Wisconsin has had a couple of scares, including from St. Cloud. Duluth has given them fits. They've had a couple of weekends where they've been lights out, and a couple of weekends where they've been kind of meh. And I still think you want Duluth, and I yeah. say that not because it's. And I get it, right? There's the, hockey. Sometimes is about momentum. Uh, Wisconsin, as you mentioned, hasn't been maybe the most dominant team that we're used to seeing. Again, with a couple yeah. of their scares, but when it comes to tournament time, that's a Wisconsin team that's true, tried and tested in, in terms of uh, you know having uh, playoff experience, um, yeah. especially WCHA, and then again on to uh, multi multi attempts at a national championship berth. Um, whereas I think Duluth doesn't necessarily have that pedigree yet, so I think. If you're at least trying to say, hey, we, we've set a benchmark, you know, if, if even if you lose that first series, if you can take one game out of it or maybe give yourself a better chance, I still think Duluth is the better opponent. Yeah, you've got to get through everybody to have a chance anyway. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it so. is what it is. Let's move on over to the Minnesota Wild here. Our last topic in the main portion of the show. We'll cruise through this quickly. Basically have three games to recap and then a little bit about the all-star game here, and then we'll head on to our extra ice session. Going to be a bit of a longer show, quite obviously. Uh, 22, 14, and three are the Minnesota Wild with 47 points. They are third in the central with a plus 14 goal differential. They did not change in that regard from last week. Colorado is one point back with a game in hand. Both the teams play on Tuesday. So um, when this show comes out, what's on tap? Uh, well, how about the past week? First, Tampa Bay, five to one victory for the Huskies. Uh, mm-hmm. against Nick Perbix's club. Uh, Buffalo, 6-5 overtime loss in Buffalo. That was a crazy hockey game. And then St. Louis, 3-0 loss. Uh, a sick Philip Gustafson, banged up squad a little bit. A St. Louis squad that's banged up too, but they've been up and down, just not a great showing uh, for this group in that last one. Mm-hmm. They have the New York Rangers in New York on Tuesday. Then they are mm-hmm. at the New York Islanders on Thursday, and then they will be at home against Arizona on Saturday before a three-game Southeast road swing the next week. They've got kind of, they've had kind of a nasty schedule. It stinks that yes. they were they were in Buffalo, and then they came home, and now they're headed back out to the East Coast. They don't really get that, and they're going to come oh. home against Arizona before heading to the Southeast Coast. I, I I don't understand. Um, 
But nonetheless, they are six and three in their last 10. Gustafson played yesterday, albeit very under the weather um, for the past week. Mark andre Fleury took a leave of absence that'll go through Tuesday morning, so he'll join the team on Tuesday. Uh, got a pretty bad phone call, I think, on December 31st, some not-so-great news, and then on January 7th, another phone call hours before that game, and just hasn't been good, so you hope that he's doing all right. So mm-hmm. um, this Wild team, they didn't play a ton. Kind of hard to evaluate with injuries and whatever else. Um yeah. I thought it was an okay week given the circumstances. St. Louis left a little bit to be desired, but really yeah, not a great, not not a great circumstance. No, um, in Buffalo, I mean, they just they didn't really look like they were on the same page um, in, in Buffalo. Uh, and, and granted, they battled to get a point out of that game. Um, they they had some puck luck on their side a few times here and there, but yeah, St. Louis that was a bit disappointing again. Eleven forward, seven D um, down Greenway, and, and as we've seen. Uh, even especially early part of the season when that grief line is not intact. They're just not the same hockey team. Yeah. And then uh, still with the absence of Matt Zuccarello, you can tell that Kirill Kaprizov is, uh, you can say, fighting it a little bit, even though Matt Boley, how close has Matt Boley been yeah. to lighten up the score sheet so many times he just can't get one past? You kind of get the feeling that if he gets one, that maybe more of the waterfall might just, or the dam will just break. But uh, he's well, been... Well, don't worry. Kevin Fiala had a hat trick the other night for LA, so it's fine. Yeah, it's okay. Um, <laughs> at the end of it, yeah, it wasn't. It was especially against St. Louis that that wasn't great. But again, circumstances wise, uh, which unfortunately doesn't matter when you get to the end of the season. Um, there, yeah, that one stung a bit because it was a great opportunity to really kind of put St. Louis like almost to bed uh, in terms yeah. of uh, you know the central division. Now they're. They're still within a stone's reach of a, a top three spot. So the uh, the next couple of games out in New York and then again, home to Arizona, then a, a, a road trip out uh, to the southeast part of the U.S. Uh, these are going to be some very important games before the All-Star break uh, to try to see if you can't get some points padded up because the schedule is only going to get worse post All-Star break. Of course, Sunrise, Florida, where Minnesota is headed in the following week, uh, will host the festivities for the Mm All-Star Game. Skills Comp on February 3rd, All-Star Game on February 4th. So a little bit about the All-Star Game. Fans can vote for the three remaining players for each division, two skaters and one goalie in every lineup. Um, That will run through January 17th on the NHL website, so check that out. Otherwise, the preliminary rosters are set for the Central. Kirill Kaprizov is there for Minnesota. Clayton Keller for Arizona, Jason Robertson for Dallas, Tarasenko for the Blues, provided he's healthy. Um, Seth Jones for Chicago, Kale McCarr for the Avs, Josh Morrissey for the Jets, and UC Soros for Nashville. It's basically been one player from every team, and then you fill out the rest, which I don't know if it should be that way, shouldn't be that way. I always feel like it should be the best players, but whatever. Um, (laughs) Staying out West, uh, Matty Berniers for Seattle. That's a great that's a big one. Good chance for him. Um, I thought it was going to be Shane Wright. Um, ha. Uh, ha. Ke- Kevin Fiala for LA. That's a that's a kick in the teeth. Um, although he did look good in the best reverse retro jersey set of all the reverse retros this year. I'm, and I know Minnesotas are good, but those LA Kings ones are fantastic. Nice. Yeah. Um, Nazem Kadri for Calgary. Um, yay, Colorado fans. Uh, Connor McDavid, uh, apparently for Edmonton. Don't know how he made it. Um, yeah, what a snub. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, hopefully Leon Dreisaitl makes it, but we'll have to see. Um, right. Elias Patterson for Vancouver has had an okay bounce back here. Um, 
I thought That's it was a situation in Vancouver. Was yeah, I thought it was going to be JT Miller, but turns out they want the back of the nets intact. Um, <laughs> Troy, Troy Terry for Anaheim, uh, who's had a terrible season. Anaheim, not Troy Terry. Um, Eric Carlson for San Jose. Good bounce He's back year for him. Cow as he looked. Uh, Ottawa Senators vintage Eric Carlson this year. Man, he looks good. Yeah, and Logan Thompson for the Vegas Golden Knights. What a great chance for him. Uh, you know, he had because uh, I was at their last game uh, in Vegas against San Jose and uh, watched them essentially, you know, kind of complete their collapse. And uh, it was to say that it wasn't the fault of Logan Thompson. Um, I think he earned that starting position yeah. um, and is carried. And I think he's earned that all-star bid. Uh, granted some injuries to other Vegas players, Jack Eichel, um, Jonathan Marsh or so. Uh, Mark Stone's been injured too. Uh, may have surpassed him in the popularity contest had they been healthy but thompson certainly deserving the all-star bid and glad he's getting a chance to get recognized yeah two more divisions here metropolitan division both Sidney crosby and alex ovechkin making it for pittsburgh and washington so i wonder who's going to go in place How of ov there is haven't even scored he hasn't done much totally kidding yeah. well I, <laughs> I i i was even fooled a little bit well he's not going to go anyway because he never goes right no um uh but nonetheless johnny goudreau for columbus kevin hayes for philly which he was scratched the other night albeit making the all-star game and john Torello was basically like i don't give an f about the all-star game which Pretty to much. be fair i mean kevin hayes hasn't played well as of late so i mean like uh, um and to be fair i mean not all well for coaches yeah they never give it anyways so yeah uh jack hughes for new jersey that devil's team is good this year brock nelson for the islanders svechnikov andre svechnikov for carolina and igor shesterkin for the rangers in the atlantic nikita nikita kucherov for tampa bay i wouldn't have minded seeing steven stamkos he's had a real great bounce back here um he can still vote him in though uh dylan larkin for detroit mitch marner for toronto which okay uh <laughs> Austin how, many, how many Leafs fans are going, why isn't it not Matthews anyway? Yeah, well, you still have a chance to vote him in through January 17th. Uh, 10 ballots per 24 hours. Um, Nick Suzuki for Montreal. Tage Thompson yeah. for Buffalo. Shocker. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, Brady Kachuk for Ottawa. Matthew Kachuk for Florida. That's pretty cool. Um, that is pretty cool uh, for a team that uh, you know thought that maybe they won the uh, the offseason. Has not been winning the regular season yeah. so far. I think Nick Perbix was supposed to go, but Matthew Kachuk got scared. Um, <laughs> with that being said, uh, Linus Allmark for Boston is in net for that group. So two skaters and a goaltender for each division. You can vote on that as well. But we will head on to our extra ice session. One more tournament to recap cap the biggest one of the last couple of weeks the world junior championship on the men's side and welcome into the extra ice session noah grant alongside nick maxson here nick uh, approaching an hour and a half on the show so let's go for two hours no i'm kidding um oh my gosh <laughs> uh, those who those don't know this um they will know this because i'm going to tell them this we actually are recording our bit for mncaa after this so it will be at least two hours for us or be, yeah. pretty, pretty close so uh hockey night in America's wasteland and Minnesota. Um, Connor, <laughs> Connor Bedard at the World Juniors. How about up there in uh, Nova Scotia? Is that right? Yeah, Mo- yeah, Moncton, and then yeah. New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Connor Bedard did not register a point in the gold medal game, the only game that he was held off the score sheet. Why is that notable? Well, he had a good tournament. 
Uh, he set a tournament record for most yep. points by a Canadian with 23 points. The previous was 18. Tied the most points in a single game with seven and then had six the next night. Became Canada's all-time leading scorer for a single World Junior Tournament with 15 goals. The previous was 14 by Jordan Eberle. Mm-hmm. And now is the all-time career World Junior points leader for the Canadians. 34 points, passing Eric Lindros at 31. Yep. Um, he is third all-time in tourney points in a single World Junior Championship as well. Marcus Naslin and Ramel Helminen had 24, and Peter Forsberg has the single tournament record with 31 points. Goodness. Yeah. I don't think that will ever be touched. Ever. Probably not. No. Yeah. Um, named tournament MVP as well, the youngest player ever in the history of the award, which started in 2004, and was also the directorate award for the tournament's best forward. He has one gold in three of four IIHF events, two golds at the World Juniors, and one gold at the U18s. Uh, returned to the OHL the other night, had four goals, two assists, six points, 13 shots on goal, has 40 goals, 53 assists, and 93 points in 36 games which would be a pace of 91 goals, 121 assists, and 212 points over an 82-game season. Is that good? I have a feeling he might be going first overall. I think the uh, <laughs> I think the choice is a lot clearer this year. Oh, my goodness. Gosh, goodness, my gosh. What a start. I wish Minnesota would tank. I honestly, like, <laughs> I'm going to throw it. I'm going to throw it out there. Like, if Minnesota, if Minnesota. It's their depth. <laughs> <laughs> if they uh um they need to pick up uh um what's his name brennan manel <laughs> again um anyway oh boy um <laughs> here's the thing if minnesota's in a wild card spot by the time the all-star break rolls around we're tanking we're doing it um with that be chicago though that's the problem oh, man whoever gets this kid i tell you what this is not shane wright question marks this is connor mcdavid is- connor mcdavid off brand um, exclamation point oh yeah uh this is crazy well canada no surprise won something i called the gold medal uh but this was a great Great, was a great tournament medal round uh, relegation round as well too. Latvia five two and four two victories over Austria, so the Latvians are safe. Austrians are relegated. Quarterfinals: Sweden three, Finland two. Uh, they called this an upset. The Finns were the higher seed, but they were not. Mm-hmm. A, they were not great uh, in the tournament. No. I don't think. Um, Wasn't so- their best showing for sure. Yeah, it certainly set up some more interesting games down the line. Uh, Czechia beat Switzerland 9-1. U.S. beat Germany 11-0. Wasn't even close. Um, I almost got this one right. I didn't. Uh, Slovakia losing 4-3 in overtime to Canada. The Slovak team gave a lot of group spits. They they were outshot heavily. It was like 48 to like 20 or something. And their defense, holy cow. Yep. We talked about it. If they hung around in games, that's why I picked the Slovaks to upset Canada. And boy, I almost got there. But nonetheless, uh, U.S. probably could have used that. But nonetheless, well, uh, the, the U.S. did get Canada. 6-2 loss for them in the semis. Czechia beat Sweden 2-1 to in overtime, tying that game with 39 seconds left and then winning it in OT. The Swedes, a gut punch and a half there. Yeah. Um, of course, the U.S. Uh, well, let's start with the semifinals before we get to the bronze sure. medal and the gold medal game. Uh, I, I think a lot of people are talking about, you know, the U.S. is down three to two. They tie yep. the game. Goaltender interference is the call on that spin move. Um, then it's four to Canada. The U.S. scores another one. 
um, that gets overturned and then the Canadians run away with it at the end of this one. Yep. Second one, maybe I think you can make the argument. The first one I thought was a hockey play through and through and a good goal here. Um, uh, of course, all the Canadian fans saying the U.S. fans are just complaining. The U.S. fans saying, you know, we got robbed a little bit. I think the first one definitely changes the complexion of the game because that's a 3-3 100%. game at that, at that point. Um, but, you know, as a U.S. fan, I besides the first 10 minutes where I thought the U.S. was going to roll all, all over Canada the way they started – um, the Canadians were the better team. They were through that throughout that game. I, I that's no secret. Do you think that it was it was tarnished by the call? Because under the definition of the double IHF, it's theoretically the correct call. But I think from those of us looking from a hockey purism standpoint, especially that first one, would call at least one of them a goal, if not both, which certainly changes the game. Do you think the U.S. would have still came out with a victory in this one had it? Had those calls gone their way, do you think the U.S. got screwed a little bit? Uh, do you think? It, do you think it was a little bit of that, but a lot of Canada was just really good that night? So, can you say it's a melting pot of just about everything? Yeah. Um, just because, first of all, yes, there's no denying Canada was the better team. They had a slow start, and yeah. uh, let's just say that the U.S. You know, I think they went up two nothing early, right? Yeah. Yep. They went up two nothing, and then Canada was like, hmm, yeah. well. Yep. This was fun. Let's start, you know, let's start reeling in the fishing line, right? <laughs> Essentially, um, it what that was the wake up call. And uh, let's just say Canada had the offense. I told you the offensive firepower with Canada would be probably too much for a lot of teams. Um, the one thing that we were suspect uh, suspect on was Canada's goaltending, and sometimes their defensive play was porous, and that's something yeah. that was a bit shocking even to me. I thought that they would be much better defensively, and at times they seemed to lapse, but yeah. um. The U.S. could have been up three or four nothing in they the first ten been. minutes. They were all over them. The, yeah. the problem is, is that hockey is sixty minutes, not ten. So that's yeah. that's the first problem. And, right? and no, no secret that World Junior Games have started that way. Three nothing becomes three three, and it's then, yeah. yeah. You get a little. I'm not sure if you, I don't. I'm not sure if you would say you get complacent, but maybe you get comfortable, right? And it's like you, you can never be comfortable until it's zero zero in the third period, right? Um, so then, like you said, uh, Canada comes back, ties it. Uh, they take the lead. U.S. thinks, and granted, I get the definition, right? Uh, I I'm not as down on that play as a lot of other people. I don't like it myself personally. Um, yeah. I think it's the double IHF has always had this very almost force field type, shall we say, protection of goaltenders um, and and the blue paint for that matter. Exactly. So it, it doesn't surprise me now from what we see here in the US, the NHL, different things, it, it's a, by definition a weak call for our perspective. Sure. Okay. I'll yeah. give you that. But at the end of the day, um, that can be with young kids, right? These are, you know, young men. Those types of calls coming back, especially when you're trying to stifle momentum from Team Canada, uh, that can be a big momentum shift. And then when they go up by two, you're trying to inch back, then that gets returned, right? You're almost like, okay, it's not just about a hockey game at that point. You're like, my gosh, like even the refs are against us, even though in reality it wasn't. Um, again, like you said, I, I agree with you. The second call is a little bit more clean cut than maybe the first one. Um, but at that point, Canada seized momentum. They saw uh, essentially, you know, blood in the water. And uh, when it became 5-2, I think all everybody, including myself, was like, well, that just about does it there, Chief, right? And you could see it in the body language, too, of the U.S. players. I remember watching this game, and you could when 5-2 was on the board, I'm like, yeah, the shoulders were slouching. Um, that same attack mentality, you know, just it, you got the sense that they even felt like they couldn't come back in that one. So it was disappointing. Uh, but as you mentioned, and we said it before, Canada was the better team throughout yeah. more of the hockey game. 
Yeah, the Scotiabank Center in Halifax, by the way, what a great venue it yeah. was for this. I mean, we I talked tried. about talked about it not being in an NHL building, and I have to agree, those buildings that, you know, are maybe around Ralph Ingolstead sized or somewhere a little bit less or, yep. you know, whatever. Perfect, um, I think, for a tournament like that. So it was awesome. The crowds looked great as we moved on through the event. Uh, bronze medal game. Boy, this was a game for the ages. Holy oh, smokes. Yeah. Nine goals in period number two is one nothing after the first. 5-5 five, five, uh, after, um, no, 6-6. Six, 6-6, six. Six, six, yeah. 6-6, six, six, yeah, after the second. And then it was 7-7 seven, seven after the third. The U.S. scoring with about a minute 20 left in that one, and Sweden tying it with 21 seconds left. It was ultimately the U.S. winning this one 8-7 to seven in overtime, a little backhand play. Uh, far side blocker, it was Chaz, uh, Chaz Lucius, yeah. uh, the former gopher that got the game winner in that one. I mean, that was classic everything like if that would have been the gold medal game that would be one of the most iconic u.s games uh in history and that's saying something considering it wasn't against canada and it was still iconic even as a bronze medal game it was very good um so congrats to the u.s sometimes it feels better you know winning bronze than if you would win silver this czechia team was not half bad oh man gave canada a run for their money i thought the canadians were going to run away with it when it was two nothing but they responded with uh less than 10 minutes in this one two to two and they lose uh on the game winner uh in overtime three to two gusting just you talk about yeah you know, maybe one of those you know goals that kind of gets framed right for uh for our guy connor bedard what a nasty through three people backhand talk um you got to really tip your caps to Czechia uh throughout this entire tournament i think that you know even with the slow box they did not look like uh, yeah. two teams that were intimidated D- by anybody. Dylan Gunther, by the way, was the game winner. Remember, Connor Bedard didn't have a point. So, Oh, right, right, right. My yeah. bad. Um, you're, you're thinking of the, the goal in the uh, um, against Slovakia. That's what I'm thinking of. Yep. Yeah, sorry. Um, but at, at the end of it, uh, both the Czechs and the Slovaks throughout this entire tournament, um, they it was like men versus men, right? And I say that not you know, literally, obviously, but, you know, in, in times of past, they haven't had maybe the most, you know, deep of a team. Um, they've had a couple of good players here and there, but just, you could see the attitudes, like they get down early and then it was like beating themselves up kind of thing. Right. Uh, no, they fought back and they give Canada a run for their money, um, throughout that gold medal game. It was a fantastic hockey game. And, uh, for those, I, I know that you and I both would agree on this besides the Stanley cup playoffs, you talk about tournament t- style hockey world juniors to me is a never miss tournament especially with the skill yeah. that's on display uh the different changes in momentum they're much more extreme um any team can beat anybody in any given night i'm um, sure you've got your powerhouses canada us um finland sweden uh slovakia check it out mind you russia not in this tournament again because of the bands, right? They would be in there too. Yeah. Uh, with some of the they, talent there. They won't be again, by the way. 2024 World Juniors again, December 26th through January 5th. That's a Tuesday through a, a, the next week's Friday, essentially. This will be in Gothenburg, Sweden. Um, mm-hmm. So Group A is at Scandinavian, which is a great name. And Group B is at, at Frölundaberg. So Group A is Canada, Sweden, Finland, Germany, and Latvia. Of course, they escaped uh, the relegation round. Group B, Czechia, USA, Slovakia, Switzerland. And care to guess who the last country is, Nick? So it would be the whoever comes up from relegation, right? So it's, it's, already, it's already been set. <laughs> you might not get this one, actually. Probably won't. It's it, yeah. is it Kazakhstan. 
No, which would be sick. Um, be I'll sick. give you. I'll give you one more hint, and then I'll tell you. The Minnesota Wild have a player who plays for this country. Just one. Just one. <laughs> He's pretty good. Hang on. Oh, Norway. Norway. Yay. Good job. Who would that player be, by the way? Matt Zuccarello. Yes. There you go. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, yeah. So, those are already set. Uh, yeah. So, Norway. That'll be kind of interesting to see what they can do. Um, uh, I have a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Be not be nice. Um, I, I am. <laughs> it's with, interesting though. And, and side yeah. note, real quick, it is interesting that you know Norway, and then is it Sweden? Right, that they're right next to each other. Yeah, they're all in geographically, but but there's there's yeah. a gap. Finland too. Finland, but I think Finland's across the yeah across the Den- bay Denmark well. as well. They're all they're all Scandinavian. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Wow, well, I shouldn't say they're all. There's only okay. I work for a Scandinavian Heritage Association, so I should be more clear. But <laughs> um, but t- there's three main Scandinavian countries, but really there's five slash six countries slash areas that we include as general like Nordic, Northern Scandinavian, and they're all they're all kind of together ish. So sort of. So Sweden's like directly border, you know, with Norway. Finland's across um, the Baltic Sea, but yeah. it's just interesting how Sweden. And Finland, um, very hockey heavy countries. Yet Norway, not so much like at all. Like it, to me, it's it's kind of yeah. interesting how, you know, they're essentially you know geographically tied, and yet the the way that Sweden and Finland are producing hockey talent, you would think Norway being right there that they would also be producing more higher level talent. They just aren't, and I don't know if that's just a difference in approach or maybe they're just not into the, you know, hockey as much as, you know, their neighbors are. It's just, to me, I've always found that fascinating. That's just, that's just. No, I, so this was actually decided actually before the world junior tournament. So they did beat Kazakhstan though. um, That's okay. To get there. So um, yeah, Kazakhstan and France were both on the podium, Hungary, Denmark, and Slovenia were the rest of the field. So um yeah, Norway's starting goaltender is five foot nine. <laughs> oh so, boy. Okay. Um, yeah. So with that being said, of course, other hockey going on here, like we mentioned, uh, the Minnesota Wild next week uh, in New York for a pair of games Tuesday and Thursday at home against Arizona on Saturday before a three-game Southeast road swing that we'll cover the following week. Women's hockey wise, of course, St. Cloud will travel to Mankato. They are on the road Friday, Saturday, a big weekend for them. And on the men's side, they will host Colorado College Friday and Saturday as well at the Herb Brooks National Hockey Center. So you certainly will not want to miss it. Nick, anything else you had to add? No, I think good. Yeah, so we are going to record some MNCAA stuff too. So definitely check that out as well. We'd love to have our listeners hop on over and hear some more previews and dive a little more in-depth about Colorado College this weekend on the men's side. For Nick Maxson, I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon for episode 145 in the den. One-timer coming, they score! She scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.